Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Very good. Om Ajnana Timarandasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Chakshur Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Shri Chaitanya Manobishtam Stapitam Yena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Tadati Swapadantikam Vanchakalpa Tarubhyascha Kripa Sindhubhyevacha Patitanam Bhavanebhyo Vaishnavibhyo Namunamaha Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vasari Gaur Bhaktarinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare So welcome and uh, Amanda, nice to see you. You got the timing straight also now. <laughs> Very good. Okay. So we are, so Hiranyakashipu is just starting to create some havoc. Um, and he's trying to get the demons to, uh, he, he's, uh, get them upset at the passing away of Hiranyaksha, his brother. Um, but we're going to hear amazing Preaching, you know, Gyan, not Bhakti, but Gyan, but still uh, amazing um, um, self-realization kind of preaching coming from Hiranyakashipu today. Very powerful speaking, actually. Henry, why does it say you're in the waiting room, but I can see you? That's weird. Oh, okay. Got it. All right. So we are, we are on verse number 13. Chapter 2, Canto 7. Thus the demons, being fond of disastrous activities, took Hiranyakashipu's instructions on their heads and with great respect and offered him obeisances. According to his direction, they engaged in envious activities directed against all living beings. Okay, so we're going up to 15 and 16. The demons set fire to the cities, villages, pasturing grounds, cow pens, gardens, agricultural fields, and natural forests. They burn the hermitages of the saintly persons, the important mines that produced valuable metals, the residential quarters of the agriculturalists, the mountain villages, and the villages of the cow protectors, the cowherd men. They also burn the government capitals. Some of the demons took digging instruments and broke down the bridges, the protective walls, and the gates, gopuras, of the, sit- of the cities. Some took axes and began cutting the important trees that produced mango, jackfruit, and other sources of food. Some of the demons took firebrands and set fire to the residential quarters of the citizens. And interestingly, Srila Prabhupada, of all the things that are mentioned, he focuses on the trees. The cutting of trees in the purport is generally prohibited. In particular, trees that produce nice fruit for the maintenance of human society should not be cut. In different countries, there are different types of fruit trees. In India, the mango and jackfruit trees are prominent. And in other places, there are, there are uh, mango trees, jackfruit trees, coconut trees, and berry trees. Any tree that produces nice fruit for the maintenance of the people should not be cut down. This is a Shastric injunction. And then in the next verse, it talks, uh, 
a little bit more. That thus disturbed again and again by the unnatural occurrences caused by the followers of Hiranyakashipu, uh, all the people had to cease the activities of Vedic culture. Not receiving the results of Yagna, the demigods also began, became disturbed. They left their residential quarters in the heavenly planets and unobserved by the demons began wandering on the planet Earth to see the disasters. Hmm. So, I wanted to talk more about the trees, about trees. Um, because we don't, it's something that we may not think a lot about, but trees are very important in our Krishna consciousness. Right? We, they're, 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 you know, when you start thinking about it, we, we think about trees all the time. <laughs> right? So we heard, we heard that, you know, mango, fruit trees that produce, you know, trees that produce fruit are auspicious. What are some other auspicious trees in our tradition? You can either put in the chat or go off a of mute. Kadamba tree. The Kadamba tree, yes. Who does the Kadamba tree represent in Braj? Krishna. No. Srimati Radharani. The Tamal tree represents Krishna. The Tamal tree is a very dark bark mm-hmm. and the, and the uh, Kadamba is a very light bark. And when you see, they, they, the bridge Basi say, if you see Tamal and Kadamba together, it's like Radha and Krishna. So if you've ever been to the, the ISKCON property at Govardhan Hill, and I don't know, how, uh, Henry, you've been there, right? Yes. And there's Tamal Krishnamaraj's Samadhi there. And just a little before that, there's a walkway. And you see a, a canopy created by a Tamal and Kadamba tree. Like this, very. It's considered very auspicious, and that, actually, that's where uh, my wife was initiated uh, by Radha Swami, right under that that small. It just he initiated just one devotee there. That devotee. And by the way, if you're interested, you want to give her well wishes. Tomorrow's her 60th birthday. Hmm. Um, for those of you who know her, um, so so yes, okay. Other auspicious trees. Uh, if. If you go to uh, Lord Chaitanya's birthplace, they have a neem tree, which That's supposedly right. I sat under there. I felt I could have stayed there like all day. I just yes. felt I didn't feel like a big spiritual thing, but I just felt like I could just stay there. <laughs> oh, nice! So, that's, that's all I can say. Yeah, <laughs> and that's how he got the name Nimai, as he was born under a neem tree. Yeah. So, and neem also is a practical tree, right? Because it's medicinal, not only medicinal, but also used in 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 cooking. Right for prashadam, right? We sometimes uh, use neem leaves, isn't it? Yeah. In the, uh, I used to just eat neem leaves often in uh, in Brindav- when I was living in Brindavan. Just take them right off the tree. It's very healthy for you. <laughs> Other auspicious trees. So, Prabhuji, the banana tree, the banana leaves, and bananas are used on Vedic uh, sacrifices, and uh, mango leaves. And also, uh, there are many trees. They, uh, in, since uh, old times, they have been used uh, mm-hmm. for different purposes, like decoration purposes, also on big events. Yes, events. yes, very good. I hadn't even thought about mango. Yes, so, uh, about banana. Yes, we use banana leaves. We use um, 
um, banana trees. Yeah, very good. There are uh, holy fig tree and the banyan trees. We read so much, you know. Yes, and banyan is a part of the fig tree family. So yes, banyan trees. Ashwatha is mentioned in, um, in the 15th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. Okay, any others? Prabhu, in South India, they call it as Punna, Punna tree, which is something uh, that's very auspicious. During Janmashtamis, uh, they use the tree to decorate Krishna that like, sure. you know, he's, he sits on the tree or something like that. I don't know in Hindi or North Indian thing. All right. Nice. Anything else? So, Tulsi plant, Prabhu. Yes, Tulsi. <laughs> Tulsi is very auspicious. Yes, most auspicious. And there's also in my, in, uh, can you think of a tree? In Puri, the Siddha Bokul tree, where Hari Das Thakur would chant Hare Krishna. And in Vrindavan, there's the Imli Tal, the uh, Mandarin, uh, Mandarin, the um, Tamarind tree that Lord Chaitanya would chant under when he first came to Vrindavan. Hmm. There is uh, also the uh, tree that Krishna jumped from to uh, uh, attack uh, Kaliya. Mm -hmm. And in Kaliya Ghat in, in Vrindavan. So you see, trees are, trees are a very mm -hmm. big part of our, of our tradition, isn't it? Uh, the twin Arjuna trees were Nakula and Sahadev. Not Nakula and Sahadev. <laughs> oh, boy, Nakula. I'm really doing well. Nala, Nala Kubera and Manigriva. Right? And Krishna toppled those those trees um and Prabhupada uh, also the the in Vrindavan when they were building the temple he said do not cut down the tamal tree yes the people tree thank you Shakshi Gopalpu. yes I have a people tree growing right in kind of it, it, it it's in the, my backyard in Vrindavan and it grows right over the house like that um Yes, yeah, so, so, so the Tamal tree at the Krishna Balaram temple, that Prabhupada said, you, he built the whole temple around that tree. Do not cut down that tree. And one time he was quite upset with devotees. I think it was in Dallas. I can't remember for sure when he saw that they had cut down a tree. So you may have to sometimes for very practical reasons, just like the Prachetas. If you remember, they were quite upset when they had come out of meditation. Um, but when Lord and they were starting starting to kill all the trees because the king kings do not want everywhere to be trees because you need agricultural land and you can't have trees for that right and you also need a habitation for the human beings so there can't be trees everywhere but then but Lord Brahma stopped him <laughs> okay rope rope stop stop <laughs> you stop the prachetas. Um, Ananda Rupa says, oh, oh, let's look at these other, oh, the Nimai, the Nimai tree, yes, the people tree. And upon seeing the seven palm trees, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu embraced them. As a result, they all returned to Vaikuntha Loka, the spiritual world, in the Danda Karanya forest. Uh, gooseberries, yes, gooseberries, that's right. Do you mean the, um, the ones that we decorate Krishna on, uh, on Govardhan, um, Shilas? You're on mute. Those are like sour type fruit uh, that comes and it's uh, high in calcium. Yes. And that tree is worshipped in during Karthik month. Ah, yes. And Chandan. Yes. Very good, Mahendra. Yes, Chandan. Yes. Uh, 
the sandalwood trees. So trees are, you know, they also, um, what about our philosophy and trees? Trees are tolerant. Trees are tolerant, yes. Yeah. Like, uh, very Gina. tolerant. Yeah, very tolerant. Yep. They don't complain. They have a long, oh, go ahead, Andy. They have a longer service life than people. They, have a they, shelter, they shelter birds and everything. And if you look at like just one branch that falls off in a storm, there are thousands of little insects and everything, little spiders living on that. There are mm. probably like a million little insects mm. living on every tree. And they, they do get that shelter. For, and they're tolerant, yeah. yeah. Uh, Raghunana Prabhu? Kalpa Riksha. Yeah, Kalpa Riksha, wish-fulfilling trees. And the, we, just, we just talked about them, right? We said, Vansha Kalpa Turubhyascha. Right? We just talked about trees. Every at the beginning of every class, we talk about trees, <laughs> and and Andy brings up the point that more tolerant than a tree, uh, Lord Chaitanya says. Yes, it's also said that there's some something inauspicious about them. If somebody, um, uh, let's say, is walking around naked or things like that, they may take birth as a tree in their next life and stand naked for hundreds of years. Right. Um, but still, they're very uh, watering. Yes, another rupa watering the root of of the tree. Yes, instead of watering the uh, branches, and then the bell tree, the reduksha the, from the, the those beads. Uh, yeah, so uh, very good. And there is parijata tree that Krishna brought mm-hmm. from the heavenly planet. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah. So. You see what I mean? Maybe when you first uh, when I first said trees are important, you're like, what? But look what we did just in 10 minutes. We came up with so many important uh, points about trees and Krishna consciousness. And therefore, Prabhupada says in the 16th verse that the cutting of trees is generally prohibited. And at the end, he says, this is a Shastric injunction. So, uh, any other thoughts on trees? And also, uh, Krishna will used to climb on Kadamba tree to call back his calves mm. at the end of the day. Ter Kadamba. That's right. Ter Kadamba. Very good. Very good. Yes. And I always think that the trees around the temple are very special because they hear the Hare Krishna mantra all the time. All the, all the time. Those bushes and trees all around the temple area. Devotees are walking around during japa. There's kirtan in the temple room. Now there's kirtan outdoors. Very lucky trees, indeed. Yeah, and in India, like there are many temples that have specific trees associated with the temple. They are called stalavriksha. Ah, yes. And sometimes that, that tree at the uh, Jagannath Mandir in Mayapur, you you make like a wish, and then you tie that wish around the tree. Yeah, so, uh, um, and Jay says, many saints have prayed, chanted, got enlightenment. Yes, under trees, that's right. Uh, including Buddha, right? Was it Buddha? Um, under a Bodhi tree or something like that? Yeah, yeah very good point. Uh, very good point. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so next time you see a tree, hug it, as they say. <laughs> so we're like the original tree huggers. And in Vrindavan, you know, you, all the trees are considered copper bricks, so sometimes you can go. Usually, you put your head uh, on the on the um, trunk of the tree and make a prayer. 
There's a beautiful, very old tree at the Rasa Stali, the place where Krishna performed the Rasa dance in um, Govardhan. There's, there's a number of Rasa Stalis. This one in Govardhan next to Raghava Pandit's cave. It's an old, very old, ancient Tamal tree. So, okay. Wonderful tree kata. In this case, tree kata is Krishna kata. Right? Okay, so now we're going up to verse 21. 17. After performing the ritualistic ob- uh, observances for the death of his brother, Hiranyakashipu, being extremely unhappy, tried to pacify his nephews. O king, Hiranyakashipu was extremely angry, but since he was a great politician, he knew how to act according to time and situation. With sweet words, he began pacifying his nephews, whose names were Shakuni, Shambhara, Dristi, Bhutasantapana, Prika, Kalanabha, Mahanabha, Harish Mashru, and Utkacha. He also consoled their mother, his sister-in-law, Rusabhanu, as well as his own mother, Diti. He spoke to them all as follows. So here we are going to hear about a great self-realized demon. (laughs) Hiranyakashipu said, My dear mother, sister-in-law, and nephews, you should not lament for the death of a great hero, for a hero's, hero's death in front of his enemy is glorious and desirable. My dear mother, in a restaurant or place for drinking cold water, Many travelers are brought together, and after drinking water, they continue to their respective destinations. Similarly, living entities join together in a family, and later, as a result of their own actions, they are led apart to their destination. So Prabhupada writes in the purport some very strong points here. Uh, All the living entities in this material world have come here only, only, because they wanted to be equal to Krishna in enjoyment and have thus been sent here to be conditioned by material nature in different degrees. So goodness, passion, ignorance. But there's the whole, the whole reason we're here in one sentence. We want to be equal to Krishna in enjoyment. In the material world, a so-called family is a combination of several persons in one home to fulfill the terms of their imprisonment. Now, I realize this is not bhakti, this is gan, but that's a pretty heavy statement, isn't it? Andy's smiling. <laughs> but uh, Amanda's smiling because we're looking at her picture of her smiling. <laughs> but um, yeah, that, it's such a strong statement. Looks like we have Kinnery here. So she's not going to start, you know, Kinnery's not going to start thinking, oh, I have this young daughter. Well, anyway, we're just in prison together. So, of course, for devotees, it's different because we're all trying to be, you know, uh, Krishna conscious. But still, it's, it's, a, it's a strong, who in the world thinks like this unless they really don't like their family, right? As criminal prisoners scatter, listen to this, as soon as their terms are over, and they are released. All of us who have temporarily assembled as family members will continue 
to our respective destinations. Another example given is that family members are like straws carried together by the waves of a river. Sometimes such straws mix together in whirlpools and whirlpools and later dispersed again by the same wave. They floated alone. They float alone in the water. So (laughs) imagine, you know, going up to your average person in the world and say, Oh, so you love your family? Yes. Okay. So here's the analogy that you are like prisoners that have come together in the prison. And after you're released, you never, you probably don't ever see them again. What kind of religion is that? People might say, right? You know, of course, this is not religion. This is gyan. It's, it's knowledge, not, not bhakti. But is it reality? Is it reality? People get a human form of life. They, they form a family. Let's say they do all, you know, not such great things in their life. There's a good chance they may not even be human beings in their next life. Or one family will be, one family won't be. One will take birth in the next life on a different planet. One may take birth on a different, you know, country in the, on this planet. There's no telling. So from the eternal point of view, this is, this is reality. We come together for what is considered a, a very short period of time. And then we separate. Hmm? Um, let's see. My mother passed away in 2000, 2001. So for, 43 years, my mother and I were together. And now, who you know, I, I, she left the world in Vrindavan. She had an auspicious departure, but still, who knows where she is today? Right? And even though I have great affection for my mother, um, you know, if I were to be honest, I would say I don't think about her every day. I think about her from time to time and, and feelings of gratitude, but I don't think about her every day. So this is Hiranyakashipu, a demon. <laughs> a non-devotee who's speaking so strongly. Yeah. Uh, we'll read a little bit more and then see if you have any comments. Uh, although Hiranyakashipu was a demon, <laughs> he had Vedic knowledge and understanding. Thus, the advice given to his family members, his sister-in-law, mother, and nephews was quite sound. The demons are considered highly elevated in knowledge. But because they do not use their good intelligence for the service of the Lord, they are called demons. The demigods, however, act very intelligently to satisfy the Supreme Personality of God. And this is confirmed in Srimad Bhagavatam. Atab hum bir, varna shrama vipagasan. O best among the twice born, it is therefore concluded that the highest perfection one can achieve by discharging his prescribed duties, dharma, according to caste divisions and orders of life, is to please Lord Hari. To become a demigod or to become godly, therefore, uh, whatever, uh, to become a demigod or to become godly, whatever one's occupation, one must satisfy the supreme personality of Godhead. So, um, this is the nature of gyan. Remember, we've made this distinction so many times between gyan and bhakti. We study gyan. It's in the Bhagavatam, obviously. We're reading it right now. Um, but we try to connect it with bhakti. We kind of connect it with devotional service. But the um, reality is we hear this and it may click for some time. What is that? Uh, the... Um, the renunciation call, the renunciation at a funeral. 
Mashana Vairagya. Thank you. Thank you. So we may think like that some, for some time. We may hear this kind of preaching from a Hiranyakashipu kind of preacher, and then we may forget it afterwards. And that is the nature of Gyan. It's not generally strong enough in and of itself to fix us in knowledge. We also need Krishna's help. We need that bhakti to even have this kind of understanding be meaningful and also uh, give us a realization of how to apply it in a devotee's life. Otherwise, I think we all have the, we all have the experience of knowing things like this, but not acting on things like this. And then this point that I've mentioned already that, that we are here because we want to be, try to be equal to Krishna in enjoyment. So some thoughts, questions, comments on this, um, strong statement by Hiranyakashipu and then extra strong statements from Srila Prabhupada in his purport. Hare Krishna Prabhu, I found it interesting that Hiranyakashipu is addressed as Sri Hiranyakashipu. (laughs) Normally it is reserved for somebody who is like very pious or something, but in this case, like he's speaking very high philosophical knowledge and he's being addressed as Sri Hiranyakashipu. Yeah, amazing, huh? And one of the fascinating parts of the Bhagavatam, um, I took a course, it was an eight-week course, it just finished yesterday, on uh, from uh, the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies on Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the history of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Um, and if anyone's interested, we just finished this cohort. If anyone's interested, uh, let me know and I can, uh, they only take six students at a time. But uh, they are looking for students for the next cohort. But I will warn, it, it, there is a lot of reading involved, but it's such nectar. Uh, and the devotees who teach the course are, um, yeah, they're, they're all, you know, PhDs from Oxford. They're, they're, they're the real deal. <laughs> and very devotional as well. So it was very, anyway, so I was giving, uh, we have to, uh, so I, we were talking yesterday to the last class um, about the fact that <clears throat> one thing that the Bhagavatam does sometimes is it, it gives us the backstory. Right? So we know, we already know the backstory about a little bit about Jai and Vijay being cursed. Right? And so we, therefore we can even understand from that point of view, Sri Hiranyakashipu, because we're actually Jai, <clears throat> Jai and Vijay. Right? So it's, so that's interesting. And you know, we think, Oh, how can you have such a great demon? And then you think, well, you also, you, you think that, and you also remember that this is part of Krishna's pastimes. Krishna wanted to fight, you know, have some worthy opponents to fight. You know, so there's there's these different levels of reality that Bhagavatam uh, gives us like that. So thank you for that Sri Hiranyakashipu Uvacha. <laughs> uh, other questions, comments on this uh, verse and purport? I think the message here is pretty similar to what Chitraketu's son said to his parents when he came back to life, right? He, he reflected back at saying, you know, which mom, which mom and dad are you? <laughs> I've had so many parents in the past. So I was just reflecting back at that. Yeah. And, and that is the nature of, you know, Gyan isn't, I don't, 
I think you can use different examples and different ways of explaining it, but can is, um, you know, pretty basic in some ways that we're not this body, we're spirit souls. This world is a place of suffering. We come, you know, we're, we're, we, we have a false idea of who we are, etc. Yeah. So thanks for that, Jay. That's a good point. Yeah. Other points or questions or comments? Nandi Mukhi, do you have some question or good comment? You're usually uh, our resident uh, thoughtful person from New, New Jersey. <laughs> okay, then shall we carry on? <clears throat> Actually, give me this. Uh, Mahendra has asked the question. Um, do you have any idea which tree wood is used making Sriram's paduka? No. I, does anyone know? We have a devotee, um, maybe you met him, an elderly gentleman in, I think he lives in Frederick, and he is a carpenter, very, very skilled carpenter, and he made the shoes for all the deities um, in, in uh, D.C. I don't know if all the deities, but some of the deities I could add. That's my wife. Um, very beautiful shoes for the deities. Davy? Davy? What, what, what kind of wood did they use to make those shoes? Oh, a variety of wood for the deities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just curly maple and just at least 10 different varieties of wood. 10 different varieties. And some of the shoes had one type of wood on the top and a second type of wood at the bottom. Oh, nice. And did all, for all the deities have them? Or? No, just for Gorni Tai. Gorni Tai. Did you hear that? Ten different varieties, and sometimes one uh, the shoe had two different kinds of wood, <laughs> and he made them for shishi gornitai. So what a nice offering! I think the gentleman is. I think he's in his late seventies. Yeah. Okay, so let's carry on, and we are going up to verse thirty-nine. So we're going to be reading a lot of verses. So, um, but we'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit about them. But we're going into the purport in thirty-nine. So twenty-two. The spirit soul, this is again, remember, this is a demon speaking, right? The spirit soul, the living entity, has no death, for he is eternal and inexhaustible. Being freed from material contamination, he can go anywhere in the material or spiritual worlds. He is fully aware and completely different from the material body. But because of being misled by misuse of his slight independence, so that's our problem, right? We are misled by misuse of our slight independence, he is obliged to accept subtle and gross bodies created by the material energy and thus be subjected to so-called material happiness and distress. Therefore, no one should lament for the passing of the spirit soul from the body. Because of the movements of the water, the trees on the bank of a river, when reflected in the water, seem to move. Similarly, when the eyes move because of some mental derangement, the land appears to move also. And Prabhupada in the purport also talks about heart disease. So the, um, the agitation of the water makes it looks like the trees are moving. But it's just the, so, so the soul is always the eternal soul, but seems to be the body and take on one body after another. In the same way, oh gentle, oh my gentle mother, when the mind is agitated by the movements of the modes material nature, the living entity, although freed from all the different phases 
of the subtle and gross bodies thinks that he has changed from one condition to another. In his bewildered state, the living entity accepting the body and mind to be the self considers some people to be his kinsmen and others to be his outsiders. So you see how, so when we, when we, when we, um, think that we're our body, that's what, that's the next step, right? We think, we think I'm Indian. We think I'm American. We think I'm male. We think I'm female. We think I'm this. We think I'm that. And we separate people, people I like, people I don't like, people that are my type of people, people that are my, not my type of people. And this, Hiranyakashipu was saying, is a bewildered state. And then he says, because of this misconception, he suffers. Indeed, the accumulation of such concocted material ideas is the cause of suffering and so-called happiness in the material world. Now, that's a sentence, isn't it? So the accumulation of such, so the, so a number of these bewilderments, right? They cause our suffering and so-called happiness, right? Like, you know, we like to, our sports team wins or uh, being with a family or this or that. Um, they're not, they so-called because they're temporary. Um, and, and so much of our bodily designation is a cause of suffering, right? Especially as we get older and, have to contemplate death, and if we think the whole, our whole reality is this body, that is a, that is a huge suffering. The conditioned soul, thus situated, must take birth in different species and work in various types of consciousness, thus creating new bodies. This continued material life is called samsara. Birth, death, lamentation, foolishness, and anxiety are due to such material considerations. So, ultimately. If you feel you're lamenting, you're, you're foolish, you're anxious about things, it ultimately comes down to this misidentification. Thus, we sometimes come to a proper understanding and sometimes fall again to a wrong conception of life. So sometimes we understand it, and then we forget it. Then we understand it, then we forget it. And that's one reason we say Nityam Bhagavata Seva, yet to keep hearing the Bhagavatam regularly, to keep reminding us, because by nature, we forget. <laughs> So, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, you know, we're, fo- it's kind of like we're focusing on Krishna and then we stop, you know, we, we stop and then reading again <laughs> puts us back on Krishna, uh, you know, and every time it kind of puts us back focusing on Krishna again. Please interrupt me if you want to, because we're going through a lot of reading, but please, if you want to make a comment or ask a question, please just, um, Put it in the chat or go on, uh, go off of mute. Hagishna Prabhu. Yes, uh, Sakshi Gopal Prabhu. When I read this, uh, Hiranyakashipu uh, has some knowledge uh, about the soul and then, like, you know, the birth and material energies and all that stuff. Um, is he self realized or liberated? How we should catch? I know, I know he has dem- demonic qualities. He has some knowledge. Looks like uh, the way that he's talking is like, you know, almost he, he exp- like with application, thing like that. Um, so he's he self-realized or like he's just liberated person? <laughs> well, he's, uh, where, didn't, we, didn't we read that in the purport? Which was that? Was that 21? Although, well, it says here, 
I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, it's a little tongue in cheek, a little jokingly when I say he's a self-realized demon. But Prabhupada says here in mm. verse 21, although Hiranyakashipu was a demon, he had Vedic knowledge and understanding. Yeah. And his advice is quite sound. And he says, demons are considered highly elevated in knowledge, yeah. but because they do not use their good intelligence for the service of the Lord, they are called demons. Mm-hmm. So, but, but you're right. I mean, th- this is self-realization stuff, isn't it? That he's, that he's teaching us. Yeah. This, this is not a joke. It's quite, it's quite uh, strong. You have a comment, Andy? Yeah, I think it's the same thing in a lot of uh, philosophical, religious contexts, right? Like, if you if you read the Bible, like, the devil really knows how everything works. He knows who God is. He knows the whole thing, right? And, you know, if God faces him, he just says, okay, I give up, because he knows there's no point, right? Right. And he can go up to heaven anytime he wants, even though he's supposed to be in hell, and he knows everything. So that's not unusual. The demons... Even though their job is to be demons, it's just a job slot. They know, they have a pretty good knowledge. They have actually a very good knowledge. Because to be a demon, you have to be against God, right? So you have to understand what you're against. So they know exactly what's going on, in my experience. Yeah. Well, yeah, and if you want to have some enter, uh, entertaining and deep reading, the screw tape letters by uh, C.S. Lewis um, are very interesting. So basically, uh, C.S. Lewis is a, is a great... Christian writer. Uh, he's no longer, he passed away some years ago. Um, but he's a very good writer, a very creative writer. And so what it is, it's, it's a, um, it's a very, um, learned, uh, devil preach, uh, teaching a neophyte devil how to be a good devil. Right. And it is right out of the Bhagavatam, you know, about how to, you know, bewilder people. And, you know, it's, it's really well done and it's really kind of uh, entertaining. It's called the screw tape letter. Screw tape is the name of the, uh, of the neophyte, uh, the, the young, uh, devil. <laughs> it's, it's really, he really nails it quite well. You, and you'll see Bhagavad Gita in a lot of what he says. Yeah. So, so, so I'm just confirming what you're saying, Andy. So, Shakshi Gopalbaru. So, yeah, I mean, we, you know, this is. I don't know how deep his self realization is because he does later say, "Eternal, I'm eternal." Right? We, we, we read that every play it says that, right? <laughs> um, where we know he he is his soul is eternal, but um, he wasn't able with his body to totally trick Lord Brahma. Um, it's similar like present world police and the criminals. Criminals have knowledge how to hide from police, but they don't have enough. Yes. <laughs> okay. So anything else? I will continue. Um, so now he's going to tell an example. So Hiranyakashipu is telling a story. In this regard, an example is given from an old history. This involves a discourse between Yamaraj and the friends of a dead person. Please hear it attentively. In the state known as uh, Ushinara, there was a celebrated king named Suyagna, 
When the king was killed in battle by his enemies, his kinsmen sat down around the dead body and began to lament the death of their friend. His golden, bejeweled armor smashed, his ornaments and garlands fallen from their places, his hair scattered and his eyes lusterless. The slain king lay on the battlefield, his entire body smeared with blood, his heart pierced by the arrows of the enemy. When he died, he had wanted to show his prowess, and thus he had bitten his lips and his teeth remained in that position. His beautiful lotus-like face was now black and covered with dust from the battlefield. His arms with his sword and other weapons were cut and broken. When the, king, when the queens of the king, uh, Ushinara, saw their husband lying in that position, they began crying, Oh, Lord, now that you have been killed, we also have been killed. Repeating these words again and again, they fell, fell down, pounding their breasts at the feet of the dead king. As the queens loudly cried, their tears glided down their breasts, their tears glided down their breasts, becoming reddened by kumkum powder and fell upon the lotus feet of their husband. Their hair became disarrayed. Their ornaments fell and in a way that invoked sympathy from the hearts of others. The queens began lamenting their husband's death. O Lord, you have now been removed by cruel providence to a state beyond our sight. You had previously sustained the livelihood of the inhabitants of Usinara, and thus they were happy. But your condition now is to cause their unhappiness. O king, O hero, you were a very grateful husband and the most sincere friend of all of us. How shall we exist without you? O hero, whatever you are, wherever you are going, please direct us there so that we may follow in your footsteps and engage again in your service. Let us go along with you. The time was appropriate for the body to be burned, but the queens, not allowing it to be taken away, continued lamenting for the dead body, which they kept on their laps. In the meantime, the sun completed its movements for setting in the west. While the queens were lamenting for the dead body of the king, their loud cries were heard even from the abode of Yamaraj. Assuming the body of a boy, Yamaraj personally approached the relatives of the dead body and advised them as follows. So Yamaraj said, Alas, how amazing it is! These persons who are older than me have full experience that hundreds and thousands of living entities have taken birth and died. Thus, they should understand that they also are apt to die. Yet still they are bewildered. The conditioned soul comes from an unknown place and returns after death to the same unknown place. There is no exception to this rule, which is conducted by the material nature. Knowing this, why do you uselessly lament? It is wonderful that these elderly women do not have a higher sense of life than we do. Indeed, we are most fortunate, for although we are children and have been left to struggle in material life, unprotected by father and mother. And although we are very weak, we have been vanquished or eaten. We have not been vanquished or eaten by ferocious animals. Thus, we have a firm belief that the Supreme Personality of God, God who has given us protection, even in the womb of the mother, will protect us everywhere. And finally, 39, the boy addressed the woman. Oh, weak woman, only by the will of the Supreme Personality of Godhead who is never diminished, is the entire world created, maintained, and again annihilated. This is the Vedic, the Vedic, the verdict of the Vedic knowledge. This material creation consisting of moving and non-moving, 
is exactly like his plaything. Being the Supreme Lord, he is completely competent to destroy and protect. And Prabhupada writes, In this regard, the queens might argue, if our husband was protected by the Supreme Personality of God and went in the womb, why has he not been protected now? To this question, the answer is, Yaitchayesha, um, Shintatidham, Abhyayo, Yaeva, Rakshat, Yavalumpate, Chaya. One cannot argue with the activities of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So this is a very deep few sentences here. Please listen carefully. It's, it's scary how profound it is and how it may be a bit of an affront to our intelligence and false ego. So let me repeat. One cannot argue with the activities of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The Lord is always free, and therefore, he can protect, and he can also annihilate. He is not our order carrier. Whatever he likes, he will do. Therefore, he is the Supreme Lord. The Lord does not create this material world at anyone's request, and therefore, he can annihilate everything merely by his will. That is his supremacy. If one argues, why does he act in this way? The answer is that he can do so because he is the supreme. No one can question his activities. That's a strong statement. No one can question his activities. If one argues, what is the purpose of this sinful reaction and annihilation? The answer is that to prove his omnipotence or omnipotence, he can do anything and no one can question him. If he were answerable, answerable to us concerning why he does something and why he does not, his supremacy would be curtailed. So I hope your um, ego is bruised. <laughs> Mine is. Uh, Krishna is not answerable to anyone. Hmm. So how does this play out? So because elsewhere in the Bhagavad Gita, we remember Prabhupada says in this verse, both blind following and absurd inquiry are condemned. So in, in writing in this way, is Prabhupada asking us to have blind faith that Krishna can, we don't have to judge Krishna's activities at all. He can do whatever he wants and, and we are not the, we don't have any Judgment on any of that? So Prabhupada spoke about this in a morning walk, and I think reconciles that question. A father may tell his child to do something, although the child may not comprehend it. In any case, we understand that the father's plans are complete and good for the son. If the son says, no, I don't wish to do this, he may fall down. God's orders constitute religion, but there is no question of blind following. We must understand God's nature and realize that he is all perfect. In this way, we can understand that whatever he says is also perfect and that we should therefore accept it. If we apply our finite reasoning to try to change God's instructions according to our whims, we will suffer. So, sometimes people question 
Krishna dancing in the middle of the night with other women, other men's wives. Sometimes we question, how is it? I mean, come on, really? You want us to believe that Lord Varaha came out of Lord Brahma's nostrils and he's the supreme personality of Godhead? How can there be a four-headed Brahma? Or, or why did Lord Ram agree to kill Bali the way he did? You know, these are things that, you know, that may question. And so here, although elsewhere probably saying, you know, blind faith is not what we're looking for. Um, Krishna is not answerable to our highly limited intelligence. And it's quite, this, I, I find this to be one of the strongest four or five sentences in Prabhupada's purports, because it's really, he's saying something that, that only a person of deep faith can really uh, fully accept in their heart. Right? You know, a Ravinda Supra says, you go up to the deities and say, Krishna, you are the supreme personality of God. And there's so much import to that. We've talked about that before. That means I'm not the supreme Lord. You can do what you want. And, and the idea that you can do with me what you want. The last verse of the Shikshastikam. You may handle me roughly by your embrace or leave me brokenhearted by not being present before me. Still, you are my worshipful Lord unconditionally. So this is a very, uh, and on a certain level, quite an advanced platform that Prabhupada is speaking about in this purport. And I would suggest that we meditate on it carefully. It's, it's very powerful, isn't it? I find it to be, uh, yeah. If he were answerable to us concerning why he does something and why he does not, his supremacy would be curtailed. So as faithful devotees, we hear Krishna's pastimes and we don't question it. We just, if we don't understand it, we just try to understand how it is true. Now that is also hard on the ego because there's so many cheaters in this world and so many kind of half-truth philosophies floating around. And then we're expected to accept the Bhagavatam, you know, as we say, hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> Not exactly a great example for but in total. So how's your false ego feeling right now, Prabhu's? Mataji's? I, I think this transcends the Bhagavatam. Okay. This is how do you want your God to be? Do you really want to believe he's omnipotent or not? Mm-hmm. Because other times you're just believing words that people tell you, right? And you, like, especially Prabhupada, he trusts the words of discipline, discipline, uh, change of succession. Yeah. That's his, one of his core beliefs. But this is beyond that. This is how do you want your God to be? If you believe he's omnipotent, you have to technically think of it this way. Cause like when they tell you in the army, everything is based on discipline. Everything. Right. If you right. don't do that, the army can't exist, right? But then your lieutenant tells you kill everyone in this village, right? Okay. And you're a Catholic. They tell you the Pope is infallible. And then you find out they had houses full of mistresses and everything. They said, well, maybe he's not infallible. But this is ab- above all that. Right. How do you believe in God, right? If he's really omnipotent, he's technically saying it has to work this way. You can't <sighs> ever contravene it. It's not like a guru. You find out he's doing something. He's abusing whatever. Something. Yeah. yeah. No, this is tr- uh, tr- at a <laughs> higher level. And he's, it's technical. It doesn't have anything to do with the Bhagavatam, I don't think. 
Well, you are, well, if it, it, I get your point, the Bhagavatam, you could say, I mean, you know, that we can get into the details. The Bhagavatam is an incarnation of Krishna, etc. But I get your point yeah. that this is talking about the Supreme Lord. And, uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you for that, Andy. Yeah. Uh, other questions or comments? Hi, Krishna Prabhu. Uh, yes. Basically, I beg for mercy from the spiritual masters and like devotees, particularly whenever I get these challenges. No more mercy from Krishna too. So, you know, make sure that I don't want to get bewildered and like, you know, uh, and I understand he's powerful and, you know, he can do anything what he wants. Mm. And uh, uh, to adjust my mind, I always beg for mercy. That's where I am on this situations. Very nice. Well, this verse also reminds, this purport reminds me of the, um, God, am I going to get it right? Uh, the 10th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, verses 12 and 13, I think. Param Brahma, Param Dham, Pavitam, Paramam Bhavam. That, that verse, maybe someone could put in the chat that, that after hearing the, uh, the Chatur Shloki Bhagavad Gita, uh, Krishna says, you are the supreme personality of God, inexhaustible. I accept it. And not only do I accept it, but, uh, Ahush, Ahush Rishaya, that, that these great sages, uh, Sita, Devala, Vyas, they also accept this of you. So he just says, okay, I completely accept whatever you say. Um, he says that in the, I think it's verse 12 of the 10th chapter, but I could be, or 13, 14, I can't remember, 13, 14, maybe. Someone wants to look it up. That would be great. So, other thoughts on this. So, w- one way to approach these statements being made by Prabhupada is it's giving a window into understanding the nature of God, and it, it's not like we are expected to just accept it as is. We have our choice to whether we choose to accept it or not. But it sure. is just. Whether we accept it or not, the fact still remains that God is supremely independent. Exactly. That's the point, isn't it? That whether you believe it or not, that doesn't that doesn't change Krishna, right? Raghunandan Guru? <laughs> yeah, please continue. So that, that that's what it struck me. Like, yeah, and also meditate, as you said, like meditating on these statements, it we might not initially understand it, but after a certain point, it starts sinking in. Okay, this is the nature of God, and and then comes what I choose to do with that understanding. Do I want to accept that notion and move forward, or reject that notion and move forward? So that's my choice. And people who are on the process of surrendering themselves to the Supreme Lord, they choose the option of accepting it and moving forward, they might not still 100% firmly understand it or be convinced by that, but they are on the journey towards accomplishing that. Very nice, very nice. And yes, we are, you know, we are asked to try to understand things as far as we can, you know, with our intelligence, but there are things beyond our intelligence. And uh, thank you, Prabhu. And I do basically use Acharya's comments that Acharya's comments really help if somebody is asking similar questions and somebody is going through the same type of doubts. Acharya's comments are really helpful. Like basically, they just like say, "I'm I'm like fighting for Krishna here." They stand in the front and then do their comments. Those are wonderful. 
Yes, it would be interesting. I don't have access to them, but it'd be interesting to see if there's any commentary on this verse that connects with what Prabhupada's written in the purport. But uh, it's a very strong purport. I really, yeah. When I came upon this, I was like, wow. The Lord does not create this material world at anyone's request. <laughs> right? You know, it's just like... Uh, well, years years ago, I was um, with my family in Toronto because uh, my mom's from Toronto originally, and we were there's something called I think Toronto Place. It's a it's a like a, it's on the water, the lake there, and it's a very kind of nice um, you know entertainment complex. I, do we, I don't know if we have maybe a little bit like the harbor in Washington D.C. And so, uh, we were just walking by, but it was, there was an outdoor concert by Ray Charles, who's a kind of a well-known, he's, he's passed away now. Um, but a well-known, uh, singer. And so he was playing his music and he ended and someone in the audience yells out a song that they want to hear. I think it was, uh, Georgia on my mind. And he said, play Georgia on my mind. And Ray Charles says, I do not take requests. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, here it says, um, the Lord does not create this material world at any way. So he's the supreme Ray Charles. <laughs> I do not take requests. You know, I do it the way I want to do it. And you could, yeah, but, but it's, uh, for me, it's a striking uh, revelation that, Krishna exists. He plays the flute. He lives in Vrindavan. He dances with the gopis. And whether Brajabihari Das believes that or not, it has zero, zero impact on Krishna's dancing. <laughs> it has no impact whatsoever. And uh, somehow for me that, that, um, when I, when I, when I, when I came to understand that a little bit, it was, even though it seems like such a silly thing, such a simple thing for me. It seemed like, like a major realization at the time when I, you know, uh, started thinking like that. <laughs> so, so yeah, consider this, right? Um, one cannot argue with the activities of the Supreme Personality of God. The Lord is always free. Hmm. Anything else on this? Prabhu, inconceivable is the word uh, which came to my mind as I was reading through this purport. Mm. Krishna is inconceivable. His potencies are inconceivable. His uh, anything, you know, where we have such questions, why or who, or and we may find some answers based on like Sakshi uh, Gopal um, Prabhu was saying, you know, with some explanations from Acharyas, but otherwise uh, to a certain degree, I guess our faith grows over a period of time as we hear, yes. hear more and, you know. Well, as we hear and as we apply, you know, we might not immediately understand Rasalila, but we read um, uh, that the best way to control your senses is to get a higher taste. And then we get some, we, we focus on our chanting, we focus on our reading, we, and all of a sudden we see our material desires have become less. And that gives us strength, right? You know, uh, and so there's different instructions like that in the Bhagavad Gita. And we find that if we follow them, and it, yeah, you get the result that, that, that Krishna says you will get, or the Prabhupada said we will get. 
and that increases the faith. So a lot of faith is like you're saying, uh, Ananda Rupa Mataji is hearing and then also, uh, acting out Abhideya. Sambanda Gyan is hearing and then Abhideya is the process of bhakti. So acting on those instructions, that's when it really starts deepening the realization and our conviction becomes stronger and stronger. Yeah. Okay. So then we are going up. So we're at, oh, we're only going up to two verses, up to 41. Sometimes one loses his money on a public street where everyone can see it. And yet his money is protected by destiny and not seen by others. Thus the man who lost it gets it back. On the other hand, if the Lord does not give protection, even money maintained very securely at home is lost. If the Lord gives one, one, gives one protection, even though one has no protector and is in the jungle, one remains alive. Whereas a person well protected at home by relatives and others sometimes dies. No one, uh, no one being able to protect him. So this is the, this is a, this is true. <laughs> this is true. You know, you can have the best surgeon, the best everything, and still something doesn't work if it's our time to go. And, you know, Rake Krishna Mareke, Mare Krishna Rakike. If Krishna wants to protect you, no one can uh, hurt you. And if Krishna wants to hurt you, no one can protect you. Mm. Not that Krishna wants to hurt anyone, you know, ultimately. Um, this does not mean, by the way, that we are not practical that we just, you know, walk down the darkest alley at night on the worst part of the town and say, that no problem. If Krishna wants, he'll protect me. No, you know, we, we, we don't uh, tempt fate in that way. You know, and we see some person like three times our size wearing a hoodie late at night or something. We, 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 we may just for just to be on the safe side, get in our car and drive off quickly. Right. Or, or whatever. Or, or we don't, um, you know, we want to save all conditioned souls, but we don't go to the uh, brothel to say, you know, we, we we're careful about, you know, uh, mixing with the different modes of material nature. Right. Yeah, so there's a practical side to this, but this is the philosophical truth. Truth. Right. Yeah. The next verse, which we're going to talk about a little bit. Every conditioned soul receives a different type of body according to his work. And when the engagement is finished, the body is finished, right? That's easy. Although this spirit soul is situated in subtle and gross material bodies in different forms of life, he is not bound by them, for he is always understood to be completely different from this manifested body. Now, how many of us have that realization? That's deep, even though it's considered the ABCs. Purport. Here is it is very plainly ex explained that God is not responsible for the living entities accepting different types of bodies. One has to accept the body according to the laws of nature and one's own karma. Therefore, the Vedic injunction is that a person engaged in material activities should be given directions by which he can intelligently apply his activities to the service of the Lord to become free from the material bondage of repeated birth and death. Swakarmanatam abhyarcha siddhim vindati manava. 
um, and then a little later, we should have firm faith that the Lord is supreme and that, if, oh no, I'm going to read that in a minute. But so this first point, we've talked, you know, this is Bhagavad Gita, talked about it many times, the first point. Here it is very clearly explained that God is not responsible for the living entities accepting different types of bodies. This is explained in the fourth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, that Krishna creates the different kinds of bodies, but who fits into which slot, that's based on our desire and our activities. And although we're not the only doer, you remember, of course, the example of the child trying to lift the weight. We've said this many times, and the, the, the child can't lift the weight by himself, but the father comes along and helps out, and then the weight is lifted. So did the child lift the weight, or did the father lift the weight? Well, if the child hadn't tried, the father wouldn't have helped. But the child couldn't do it all by himself. So similarly, there's different doers. The, the spirit soul, us, the material nature, the three modes, material nature, and, and Krishna. But we have to take responsibility. And, and if you remember, the argument for that is that why would Krishna create Shastra that tells you to do this and don't do that if we weren't responsible for our actions? Okay? So, um, so that's the first part, addressing it, because Prabhupada said this very clearly, Explain that God is not responsible for the living entities accepting different types of bodies. I believe it's uh, chapter 4, verse 16, that really um, drives that home. 4, 16. No, it's not 4, 16. Chatur Varnyam Mayasrishtam. Which verse? Is that 3, 16? No. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyone know where that first? Uh, anyway, Krishna says, uh, what's that, Prabhu? 413. 413, huh? I was off by a few verses. Okay, 413. Okay, let's, let's look at that. Because this is uh, one place where this is um, said. So I'll share my screen for a minute. Okay, so chatur varnyam mayashristam guna karma bipagasa tasya kataram apimam and then viti akartam. I'm not the doer. Akartaram abhyayam. According to the three modes of material nature and the work associated with them, the four divisions of human society have been created by me. And although I, I'm the creator of the system, you should know that I am yet the non-doer being unchangeable, which means I don't decide where you fit into the Varnashram system, for example. That's based on your desire, based on your karma. So that is the uh, first point here, that we have to take responsibility for our actions. And then the second part of this purport, or the second point, is we should have firm faith that the Lord is supreme and that if we surrender to him, he will take charge of us and indicate how we can get out of material life and return home back to God. So again, one sentence, you could, you could say this a thousand times and try to beat it into your brain. It's so powerful. We should have firm faith. Firm faith. Okay, you got that? That the Lord is supreme. Firm faith that the Lord is supreme. Firm faith that the Lord is supreme. And if we surrender unto him, 
He will take charge of us. We surrender unto him. He will take charge of us and indicate, tell us how we can get out of material life and return home back to Godhead. Pretty powerful statement. Mm. And then Prabhupada gives the opposite, that without such surrender, one is obliged to accept a certain type of body according to his karma, sometimes as an animal, sometimes a demigod, and so on. So questions or comments on either of these two points about the doer or having this firm faith that Krishna will deliver us if we surrender to him. Yes, Raghunath? With respect to God, being the non-doer uh, is not responsible for the living entities, uh, whatever consequences. I normally try to visualize like any sport. The creator of the sport is not as responsible for the player getting penalized or being. Uh, <laughs> because it's up to how each player plays by the rules or breaking the rules that they get penalized or awarded accordingly. Very good. Yes. Right. Now, some people will say, but that's a really stupid rule. But but if if I do not accept the rule, then I should not be playing the game. Either you don't play the game or you just just, uh, eat humble pie and go (laughs) along with it, right? You can't change what the referee says. That's right. Good point. Very nice. Very nice. Other thoughts on either of these two points? Okay, then we're going up to 47. Just as a householder, although different from the identity of his house, thinks his house to be identical with him. So the conditioned soul, due to ignorance, accepts the body to be himself, although the body is actually different from the soul. This body is obtained through a combination of proportions of earth, water, and fire. And when the earth, water, and fire are transformed in due course of time, the body is vanquished. The soul has nothing to do with this creation and dissolution of the bodies. This is Hiranyakashipu speaking. Or is this Yamaraj? I can't remember if this is Yamaraj still. Or, but, yeah, but he's quoting it. As fire, although situated in wood, is perceived to be different from the wood. <clears throat> so as air, although situated within the mouth and nostril, is perceived to be separate. And as the sky, although all-pervading, never mixes with anything. So the living entity, although now engaged in the material body of which it is the source, is separated from it. Nice examples. Yamaraj continued, Oh, lamenters, <laughs> what, a nice, what an interesting name for people. You are all fools. The person named Suyagna, for whom you lament, is still lying before you and has not gone anywhere. Then what is the cause of your lamentation? Previously he heard you. And replied to you, but now not finding him, you are lamenting. That is contradictory. This is contradictory behavior. For you have never actually seen the person within the body who heard you and replied. There is no need for your lamentation, for the body you have always seen is lying here. In the body, the most important substance is the life air. That also is neither the listener nor the speaker. Beyond even the life air, the soul also can do nothing, for the super soul is actually the director in cooperation with the individual soul. The super soul conducting the activities of the body is different from the body and living force. So here, Hiranyakashipu 
quoting Yamaraj, who's quoting about the super soul. The five material elements, the ten senses, and the mind all combine to form the various parts of the gross and subtle bodies. The living entity comes in contact with his material bodies, whether high or low, and later gives them up for his by his personal prowess. This strength can be perceived as a living entity's personal power to possess different types of bodies. And now 47... As long as the spirit soul is covered by the subtle body consisting of mind, intelligence, and false ego, he is bound to the results of fruitive activities. Because of this covering, the spirit soul is connected with the material energy and must accordingly suffer material conditions and reversals continually life after life. Purport. The living entity is bound by the subtle body consisting of mind, intelligence, and false ego. Now that's, that's, even that's a, so us, the soul, we're bound by the subtle body. And a little later, if a living being resists the dictation of the mind and engages the mind in the loving service of the Lord, so there's the combination of Gan, resist the dictation, but then Bhakti, engage the mind in loving service. The mind cannot degrade him. The duty of all human beings, therefore, is to keep the mind always engaged at the lotus feet of the Lord. When the mind is engaged at the lotus feet of Krishna, the intelligence is purified. And then the intelligence gives inspiration, gets inspiration from the spirit soul. So that's another amazing instruction in one sentence. If a living being resists the dictations of the mind, and engages the mind in the loving service of the Lord, the mind cannot degrade him. So we've, we've talked for months and years about the mind, but the mind is so powerful. So powerful. And because we, we think that we have a thought, and we think it is us, and the mind just leads us here and thither, and, and, and what we're trying to do is have the mind controlled by Shastra, by the instructions of Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra. So it's not just whimsically going all over the place whenever it wants to, um, with the background of kind of searching for independence and um, uh, being the controller and the enjoyer, ultimately. And it's, it's, uh, it's a travesty that we spend our whole lives controlled by the mind. It's, uh, it's, um, yeah, it's, a, it's, a tra- it's worse than, uh, if you're, <laughs> if you have a certain political bent and you think that the, uh, the, the uh, election was rigged, you might think that's a travesty. That has no, no comparison with this travesty of listening to our mind and allowing it to control us instead of us controlling our mind. So you put a quote in here for a reason, Andy? It's a Wikipedia article. Yep, I'm looking at it. <laughs> That's a whole subject of, of mathematics and computer science, mm-hmm. a bound variable versus a free variable. Okay. And this is what uh, Prabhupada is tapped into, although I don't think he was a science nut at all, but this is a big uh, thing. A free variable can always change its value, but a bound variable, once it's bound, 
is bound to something and it, it becomes like almost like a constant. So how does that apply to what we're talking about? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not making the connection. Uh, well, he was just, uh, where did I see it? He's talking about you become bound when you're covered by the oh, I false see. ego. Okay. Got it, got yeah. it. Ah. That's how different we are from Krishna. He can never be bound. It's not even possible. It's not possible. Yeah, yeah. That's right. but we can, and we are. And I we heard don't, that. Yeah, and that's why we don't see our real selves, because we're bound. We've been assigned, right? Yeah. And it's very, very difficult to be unbound. <laughs> we're in the matrix. Yeah. It's almost really not possible in this context. Thank you for that. Uh, other thoughts on the mind? Uh. I had a, a realization just now. Yes, um, I was reflecting on, you know, people say all the answers that you ever need are in the Bhagavad Gita. You know, you just study the Bhagavad Gita, you get all the answers. But then, you know, I've read it so many times and I just never get the answers but this is the process. Once you, you know, control the mind, once you've got the mind focused and then the intelligence gets purified. And once the intelligence gets purified, that's when the revelations and the answers start appearing. Uh, so I think, you know, I, I really, I think this, this, this whole paragraph was so important for me. Mm, nice. Yeah. Well, you don't get, yeah, you get, you get all the, um, important answers. You may not find out, um, you know, the weather in Kuala Lumpur from, from Bhagavad Gita. But you do, uh, yeah, the, the, the essential, essential answers are there. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Well, that's the nature of Srila Prabhupada's writings. They're so they really are uh, impactful. Because mm-hmm. they're coming from a, a place of bhakti. They're coming from a place of service to his guru. And of course, um, a lifetime of realizations. So Prabhu, earlier uh, you mentioned that uh, having this uh, knowledge of our relationship with Krishna. So we learn about that from the teachings. We meditate on it. We hear more with faith. We further uh, develop conviction in it. And here it's mentioned if a living being resists the dictation of the mind. So this seems to be a very powerful remedy for uh, fickleness of the mind or distractions of the mind. Together with that knowledge of relationship, sambandh gyan, uh, and engaging, then you said, uh, following the process, uh, you mentioned abhite, right? So yeah. engaging in the loving service of God, and this is the way mind can be prevented from degrading. That is, mind can become supportive. And yes. the duty of all human beings is to keep, that is, we have to understand that, that in these Kaliyesh times, it is our duty to keep the mind engaged, not just mind, actually, you know, stress, all stress is there for um, all of our senses, mind, body, words, to engage at the lotus feet of Lord. When I'm reading these lines, you know, I was relating what you earlier explained and more. So really like these lines here in the middle. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Uh, and it's so he, and Prabhupada mentions two things, right? Resisting the dictation and then engaging it in bhakti. You can't just resist. We, none of us are strong enough yogis to just resist the temptations of the mind. It's not going to work. I mean, generally, 
and maybe some of you are really super pious people, but generally the only real, and, and the only real way to do it, Krishna says in Gita, and Prabhupada says here, is then you take that mind that's disengaged and you engage it, but you engage it in Krishna. That's so and Krishna important. gives the intelligence. It's, yeah, yeah. As purification happens, we further get uh, the directions. Well, Krishna has uh, mentioned in his teachings, you know, from within, he gives the direction as super soul and without means the instructions from spiritual master. Very good. So we can make progress. Okay, so now next week is Gora Pranima, Lord Chaitanya's appearance day. So I think we will skip class next week. And uh, two weeks from now, we will start chapter three of, uh, and, you know, the, the Hiranyakashipu, uh, Lord Nishingadev, Prahlad Maharaj uh, pastimes go on for quite some time. So, but we're going to hear about his plan to become immortal. So thank you. Thank you for uh, an interesting Bhagavatam discussion today. And I wish you all the best on Gorpranim next week. And we will see you in two weeks. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.